softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Yep, uh, here we are in Campeche, uh, Mexico. Let's say a very good uh, evening to our uh, good friend John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. Martin, happy happy Jubilee. Yes, it was our Jubilee special here. We're all very excited. I uh, watched a huge special on the BBC last night, which sort of went through everything that had happened uh, during the 70 years that uh, Queen Elizabeth has been on the throne. Um, but I was trying, trying to think what it really, what its connection was with the Queen. I thought, did the Queen invent the Beatles? Did she, did she, <laughs> did she invent the minor strike? I never knew the Queen was responsible for all those things, but, um, yeah, they had, and they had uh, virtually everybody who has been around for some time and is still alive was, um, was a talking head on the show. So you had Lulu and Cliff Richard and Joan Collins and, you know, all those people. So you, you know, you're missing some real fun here in the United Kingdom at the moment. I mean, well, is there any interest in our Jubilee in Mexico at all? Has it made, you know, a finally on the news or anything? Uh, zero. Um, oh. I'm disappointed though that in the, you know, the stories we're covering tonight, we haven't covered, you know, the Queen's time in, in, in Mexico over the, you know, the course of her, her life. Yeah, well, now has she ever been to Mexico? This she is a good question. I can, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether she has. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe she might have spent, does she do package holidays? Did, would she have spent some time <laughs> on a sun lounger in Cancun at all, all inclusive? In, in, yeah. in, you know, in, in, uh, in slight disguise? I, I have no idea. Possibly. No. I mean, I, I, ne- I know the Laurel family like to go to Belize a lot for military purposes, but Mexico, yeah. I, I don't know. No, I suspect not. I suspect not. I mean, she has been to loads of places that aren't in the Commonwealth, um, but probably not Mexico. Um, I'm going to, I should look that up. Well, in fact, Jed's probably looking it up on the internet now as we, uh, as we speak. He's probably just typed in. He'll be on Ask Jeeves. Queen typed in, Mexico. Has the Queen ever been to Mexico on <laughs> Ask Jeeves? Anyway, while Jed does that. All I um, keep getting is, um, Freddie Mercury and, uh, Brian oh, Hayes. So I've got to yes. try and word it differently. Well, they've, they've been played to it a few times. Yeah, oh, I think she, there must be some, there must be some link between the Queen and Mexico. Give me a week to, to look it up and I'm going to find something really random to yeah, bring onto the show next yeah. week. We probably have in the British Museum some treasures that we plundered from Mexico. <laughs> you know, yeah, like she has. Out. 75 oh. and 83. So, um, oh, she's been there twice. Yes, 75 oh. and 83. Mm. But, Which resort? Um, um, she went to... Sandals? <laughs> um, it was spring break, so the... the um, nice. Yeah, April time, I think. Where was it now? She's, uh, da, 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 da. So she went to Mexico for spring break. So uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was the country was ruled by Luis Echeverria Alvarez. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so there you go. So oh, spring um, break. Oh, yeah, she, she went to Quintana Roo, Yucatan, uh, Mexico there you go, City, Cancun. Veracruz. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so there you yeah. go, all around there. Um, yeah, excellent. So, so went on the yacht. Yeah, yeah, on the yacht. Oh yeah, it was a, a yacht thing. So, so mm. spring break, uh, you get uh, Jeff Peters and the Queen 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff likes to go for the spring break. Queen spring break, Mexico. (laughs) Yes, precisely. We never thought we'd hear those words all in the same Only on your show, Martin. Only on your show. Thank you so much. So um, tell me about El Salvador. 2% of the adult population in El Salvador now in prison. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, this is the uh, the, the strife between the, the gangs. There are two gangs in particular, the Maras and the Eighteenth Street, which we've spoken about on your on your show before, which actually started because of the El Salvadorian civil war and the emigration that went up there. And then these these individuals were, were deported out. And interestingly, the name of the second group, Eighteenth Street, doesn't refer to an El Salvadorian or a San Salvadorian street. It's Eighteenth and, and Union in in LA, and that's where that gang was formed. And so now you've got in El Salvador over a 20-year period, these two massively powerful transnational gangs and, you know, huge internal internecine strife. And then you've got this president, uh, Nayib Bukele, with authoritarian tendencies that came to power a few years ago. And suddenly, uh, which was a surprise to everybody, the violence plummets. The violence, violence, it doesn't completely stop, but it definitely goes down. And nobody quite knows why. But it seems, you know, the rumours are that he's come to some kind of agreement with the gangs, wherein... Uh, they get preferential treatment in the jails and and they reduce the crime levels of some kind of truce, you know, on the streets. But about uh, two or three months ago, suddenly there was a massive spike in violence and he basically warned them and uh, the gangs and he said, look, you know, unless this stops, I'm going to really I'm going to crack down in two ways. One is I'm going to treat the, the existing gang mem- members in prison uh, terribly and, and massively you know, make their lives really difficult. And also, mm. I'm going to go on an, on, an, on an arrest spree, which is what's led to the 2% of the adult population in jail. 30, 36,000 arrests in uh, in two months. And actually, wow. you know, sometimes I like to do some maths on your show. Uh, Martin, if we look at, you know, the population of El Salvador being about 6.5 million, let's gauge that about 1.5 million of that is youth, uh, of which half are males, right? So you've probably got about 750,000, give or take, young males um, in in El Salvador at the moment. And you've got a conservative estimate is about 100,000 that are involved in gangs in some way, shape or form, which means that one in seven or one in eight young males is is involved in a gang, uh, which is, you know, I mean, in any kind of country. Can you imagine that in the mm. UK? I mean, it, that is obviously you know, a massive you know, that's a, it's, it's not just a problem. It's it's an epidemic. And it's not just in El Salvador. I'm 80, 18th Street, again, the second gang that I mentioned, and the, their transnational component. In the USA, they're, they're estimated to have between 30,000 and 50,000 uh, members across 20 states. And they've obviously got, you know, links to, to cartels and organized crime, uh, both in Mexico, in, in Colombia, broader, uh, you know, further afield. And, and that's what's led to you know, this massive arrest rate. Um, what's absolutely remarkable and surprising is that uh, this state of exception that Bukele is set in El Salvador hasn't dropped his approval ratings. They've gone sky high. They, he, they were already sky high and they've gone even higher. So the general population is actually very, very happy by this uh, security crackdown where he's basically arresting you know, anybody in a group in public. Wow. That is unbelievable. But, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that it's popular with the the rest of the population that aren't in gangs. You know, a crackdown on crime usually is popular, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you've got to recognise that, you know, that, that the average individual in El Salvador is hardly, not just hardly fed up of the of the, the, the crime situation and the security situation, but also almost certainly has lost 
one or more family members or neighbors to to the violence. So, you know, for them, it, you know, which is more important, uh, open modern democracy or safety and, and security? And, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, in terms of liberal democracies, we'd all say, well, you know, you, you can't do anything without, you know, without checks and balances and, and a democratic system and so on. But when you are at the coalface of, you know, these kinds of this kind of violence and this kind of you know, lack of security and just worrying in any given day about the safety of yourself and your family, then it's completely understandable that you know you, you don't mind a bit of authoritarian tendencies in your president. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and on a sort of allied subject, you've just come back from Colombia. You were in Colombia last uh, last week uh, when we spoke to you, John, and you spent uh, time with uh, some of the people who have been in the guerrilla movement there in uh, in Colombia. Tell me about that. Yeah, really, really fascinating that that week. Um, spent. Uh, a lot of time with XM19 guerrillas. Um, so, I mean, in particular, one one individual called uh, Claudia Barrera that, that joined the the militants at the age of 13. And it's really fascinating how she says that that she joined them, which is basically that she opened her. She was formed from a military family, and she just began to to see the poverty on the outskirts of uh, of Bogota, and that really, I guess, kind of you know made her realize that not everything was was rosy in the country. And then in 1970, there was very clearly adopted election, uh, you know, which, which brought the right into power yet again. And that, you know, I guess the word we would use these days is radicalized her. Um, but how she speaks of and how they all um, speak of, of the situation then is that they all regard the state as a terrorist state. So the violence being meted out on, you know, on individuals in the country and so on as being as the state and the government and the right wing being the aggressor. And so they resisted and uh, and try to restore their version of democracy to Colombia by taking up arms by by trying to to force the government to engage in dialogue and so Claudia was spent 20 years you know as part of this guerrilla group she had two children whilst living in the jungle those two children were then you know, after the peace process in 1990 started and they laid down their weapons um, because they recognized that maybe you know using arms and violence was was perhaps you know not quite the end product that they wanted to to establish, she then had her own children uh, kidnapped, removed by the states, which was, you know, not part of the, the peace agreement and so on. And so, yeah, uh, basically, remarkably, spent the last week in in Colombia in the heart of, you know, aging ex uh, guerrilla paramilitaries in, in and amongst them, uh, witnessing the, the this election that took place uh, through their eyes. But certainly, you know, an absolutely unique experience in terms of being amongst these people that had spent 20 years in the jungle, you know, bearing arms, uh, defending a particular view of the state, which is not the view, you know, certainly not the perspective that we get in the international media uh, mm. to any to any extent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and just finally, a sports story. Um, Canelo, who we talk about uh, a lot, Canelo Alvarez, um, he's fighting again. He always seems to be, he seems to be fighting all the time. He's got a, a trilogy fight against Gennady Golovkin. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's fighting again. The two things you can bet your bottom dollar on about Saul Canelo Alvarez is that, um, or maybe three things. The, the, the third thing is he always fights on a Mexican national holiday. So the 17th of September is the day after 
Mexican uh, Independence Day. So that's that's why he's fighting then. But also, you know, he he fights a lot. He fights incredibly regularly, uh, and he also fights really difficult opponents. I mean, I don't remember the last time he just did. You know, he just went through the motions and picked up a pay a payday. Almost every fight he takes is a really difficult one. And this is the trilogy bout with Gennady Golovkin. Um, they've had two bouts before. Uh, both controversial. The first one ended in a really controversial draw, and the second in a points uh, win for Alvarez. And so, after losing to Dmitry Bivol at light heavyweight, uh, he's returning now to super middleweight. Their the two previous fights have taken place at middleweight. So Golovkin is going up a division, and uh, Canelo is going down a division. And uh, yeah, I mean Eddie Hearn, who also seems to be everywhere at the moment, describes mm-hmm. it as the biggest fight in bo- boxing, and for the first time. In ages, I think a promoter is not overselling the uh, the bout, overselling the situation. It really is, you know, a massively interesting and important one. I guess, um, you know, I think that's just different now to what it was four years ago when they last fought. Is Alvarez is 31 and Golovkin is now 40. So, you know, perhaps that tells us a little bit as to the way it's going to go. But certainly, you know, massive global interest and, of course, Mexican interest in this one. Yeah, where, where is it taking place? You might have told me. Though, we don't know yet. Uh, no, we, we don't know yet. It's not, it's, it's not been announced. It's going to be somewhere, I mean, as always with these things, it's going to be somewhere with a, with a Latino, with a Hispanic influence. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, I'm guessing somewhere like, uh, you know, Las Vegas, somewhere Las Vegas, in, yeah. in California, take place in Saudi Arabia. No. I mean, it's odd that Eddie Hearn is, uh, promoting it, you know, being, well, Hearn and Alvarez have a really good relationship, remarkably. I mean, um, Alvarez really credits Hearn for the fact that he now speaks English at press conferences and so on. And they really seem to have hit it off and have a lot of respect uh, for, for each other. So, yeah, no, I, I don't quite know how this is how this has come about. But you regularly see them together, you know, joking around, uh, being really friendly. And it's not, you know, it's not put on. It's not a, a professional relationship. The, the two of them actually, you know, seem to have hit it off in some... In some strange way, maybe they both wear silk pajamas like Canelo does, and we just don't know about Eddie Hearn's tendency. No, we don't. Although I know somebody who's quite a close friend of Eddie Hearn, so I'll try and find out. Can we ask him? Yeah, yeah well, I will ask him. I'm, I'm, I can't get him on the show, so I'm not going to wake him up at half two, uh, which <laughs> is what it is in the UK. But I will definitely try and find out about Eddie Hearn's pajamas. And uh, as you say, he just it's goes an on. Unanswered he? question. It is. It's the important one. Uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez um, facing uh, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, again, um, as always, uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much. And we'll talk again next week, if that's OK. Yeah, Queen, Queen in Mexico next week. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot, John. All right. Take care. Mexico, the magic has begun in Mexico.